The title of the devotional is Contending for Healing. In the scriptures, Luke 11, 8, Jesus is speaking. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shameless persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And here's the, here's the words about it. Jesus is teaching on prayer, and in this case, intercessory prayer, where you are praying for someone else's needs. The one in need comes to you at midnight to find bread which you don't have. But what you do have is a friendship with someone who is wealthy and always has fresh bread. You go to his house at midnight and knock on his door, but he won't get up because he's sleeping. He tells you to go away, yet you won't leave. You don't care that it is rude. You are not leaving until you get what you need for your midnight friend who is hungry. This wealthy friend eventually rises up and gives you everything you ask for. What does this passage have to do with healing? Jesus called healing the children's bread. When someone has received a negative diagnosis, it quickly becomes a dark hour in their life. Sometimes they come to church in their desperation to find healing. The church is you and me. We know we can't heal them, but we have a friendship with someone who can. We are the ones who go to God and shamelessly contend for their healing. We don't go away just because healing does not come immediately. We don't quickly conclude that it must not be God's will. Jesus is a healer. It's very difficult for those who are sick to contend for their own healing because they are just trying to survive day by day. This Tuesday night, we are having a healing meeting at City Church, 6.30 to 8 in the sanctuary. If you or a friend have, or a friend you have needs a healing, physical, emotional, or spiritual This meeting is for you or for them. No one will have to contend for their own healing. We will be happy to go to God shamelessly on your or their behalf. There is nothing too difficult for the Lord. That's this Tuesday night. I believe Jesus is going to be touching people all over this place on Tuesday night. For him to do that, they need to be in this building. So if you need a healing, get here. And if you know someone that needs a healing, they've tried everything. They've tried counseling. They've tried medication. They've tried. God wants to do more. It is so easy to give up and say, well, it must be God's will that I just have this thing. We want to go to bat for you. We want to press in for everything Jesus wants to do for you. There will be child care Tuesday night for those five and under because we want you to be able to come. All right, we're going to, um, in a moment, we're, we're finishing our series called Transformed Lives. And we're going to do our memory verses in just a moment. But I want to I give you just a little insight as to why we've done, over these however many weeks it's been, asked you to memorize this passage. Whether you have or haven't, that's up to you. But let me tell you just a little about scripture memorization. We're doing this for our uh, Making Disciples class. It's not about memorization. It's about meditation. It says in Psalm 1 that his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night and he's like a tree planted by the streams of water. Always brings fruit forth no matter what the season is and whatever he does prospers. The the promises for meditating on the word of God are amazing. But to meditate day and night, you, you have to have it memorized. You have to be able to look at it anytime you want to. When you've got scripture memorized, you, you could be working. You could be doing, you could be driving in the car. You don't need to have the Bible open because it's right there. And you could just start ruminating on the word of God, chewing on the word of God and allowing it to become your delight, allowing your, to become one with the word of God. So that's kind of what the method is uh, or the purpose of why we have been trying to memorize this verse. Um, So this is the, if you haven't been following along, this is the last week you'll have to endure this. So, okay. 
Could we stand to our feet, please? And out loud together, here we are, second, second, we're doing the whole thing today. Second Peter 1, 3 through 11, out loud together. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins." Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. All right, one more time. Let's get rid of the words. I have started reading this because I was confusing everybody when I got off, so I I do have this memorized, but I'm going to go slow so that you can make your way through this. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word that you have today. Thank you for this series that we're concluding today. Lord, would you come and speak to every heart? Lord, would you come and and release hope to everybody that's discouraged today? Lord, I I know you have something today. Um, Keep me out of the way so that we can hear you and see you. And we will give you the glory for it, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last, last message in our series, and it's called this. Transformed lives, remembering who you're becoming. Remembering who you're becoming. It kind of goes off of 
verse 9 there where it says that whoever lacks these qualities has forgotten his purification. He's forgotten what he's becoming. He's forgotten that he's been forgiven. He's forgotten his position. He's forgotten the process he's in. So point one, who are we becoming? First, we're becoming, we're becoming people of character. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have been born again. The seed of God, the DNA of God is in us. I have a very good friend. He's actually a mentor and a father to me in the faith, Roger Olson. He pastors Grace Church in New Glarus. And four months ago, he had an experience. He told me, he, he let me, he gave me permission to share it. He, uh, He's, he's at the door greeting people as they come into church and Aaron Perkins walks into, walks into Grace in New Glarus. Well, he hadn't seen Aaron since the 80s. Eight, he, Aaron was in the youth group in the 1980s and he gives him a big hug and he says, Aaron, it has been so long. It is so good to see you. And as he's hugging him, he realized something's wrong. And he backs away. And he's like, this isn't Aaron. This person is too young to be Aaron. So he does a little interview. It's Aaron's son, Blake. He looks just like Aaron. Now here's the thing. Why does he look just like Aaron? He's got the same DNA. What, what did he do to make himself look just like his dad? He didn't have to, if you've ever seen the Mission Impossible movies, they always have those rubber masks that make you look like someone. He doesn't have a rubber mask on that you peel away. He, he doesn't have makeup on. He's not trying to look like his dad. He doesn't have to work that hard because he's got his dad's DNA. He just looks like it. As long as he's raised in an environment conducive for physical growth, he's not going to have to work that hard. He's just going to look like his father. Now this is how it works in the kingdom. The divine nature, we become partakers in Christ when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. L listen to Mark chapter 4, 26 and 27. Jesus says this, this is what the kingdom of like, a man scatters seed on the ground. He had just said in the parable before that the seed is the word of God. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. There is a miracle going on when a seed grows. Even today, no one knows how seeds work. How does this little seed become a stalk of corn? No one knows. It's a miracle. We're so used to it that we'd expect it. Farmers expect it. They put that seed in the ground and they expect it. If, if all we need to do is water, weed, expose it to sunlight, and this is going to become a corn stalk. How? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how a seed gets transformed and becomes that. But it does. This is how, it, this is Christianity. This seed in you, this divine spark being born again from above, this, this, all you need to do is create an atmosphere that's conducive to spiritual growth and it will happen all by itself. Just hang in there. You are, we are becoming beautiful. We are becoming like Christ. We are becoming loving. We are becoming, all of those qualities are in us and they are increasing. All we have to do is rest our identity in him and stay in an atmosphere of spiritual growth. We are becoming people of character. Secondly, who are we becoming? We're becoming a representative of heaven. This whole text is about escaping 
the corruption that is in the world and then becoming these people that are going to receive a rich welcome into heaven, uh, that, that God is preparing us from heaven. He's preparing us for heaven. And right now we are representatives of heaven while on this earth. So it must have been about five years ago, a movie came out. Of course, there's been so many superhero movies, it's hard to keep track of them. But this one was called Man of Steel. And, of course, it's about Superman. And it's, it starts with uh, Krypton. They send, they, they send their son to Earth, and, and he crashes in uh, Kansas. And these, this couple, Jonathan and Martha Kent, find this baby, and they raise him as their own. They name him Clark. And uh, Clark, little Clark, is being raised, but he, he doesn't fit. He's, he notices that he's got things that other people don't have, and, and his mom, and especially his dad want to make sure that he hides these special powers that would set him apart because he needs to fit in. He needs to get along. And so there's tremendous pressure from his earthly dad to just be like everybody else to the point that when the dad is dying in a tornado, he will not let his son rescue him. Who It would have been nothing for his son to rescue him. So he's kind of, he's kind of this miserable boy growing up. Well, then he, uh, they, there's this discovery in Canada of this spacecraft that has been there for thousands of years that, that came from somewhere else, and he sneaks on it, and it, it turns out that that spacecraft had come from Krypton. And, uh, and his dad, before Krypton was exploded, sent a message to this spacecraft and there's this holograph of his real father, not his earthly father, but his real father. And he gives, them, he gives him this message of who he is, explains who he is. And then he says that Clark was sent to earth to guide its people and give them hope. And he presents him with a Kryptonian uniform bearing his family's symbol, which also represents hope. And that's the, the, the S that's there. Some, it means something. It's like their family symbol. And this changes everything. Now he knows who he is. His, his real father has given him his identity and his purpose. Now he's not afraid to... to to practice the powers to be who he is with sensitivity because he's living in a world that's different than the world that he is from. Pastor Tom, what on earth does all that have to do with us? Everything. Absolutely everything. There is a tremendous pressure in this world to conform to what this world is. And to just be like everybody else and to, and to kind of hide our Christian faith, our Christian identity and to be well-liked and to, to get along. You just kind of have to fit in. And, and what we need is to recognize that our identity doesn't come from this world. It comes from, it comes from our real father in heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is what Jesus makes every one of us that are born again. He makes us favored sons and daughters in this world, but our identity is not of this world. Our identity comes from heaven. This makes us heaven's representative. We, we are the hope of the world. But, uh, this is Colossians 1.7. It says that, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. This is the great mystery of the ages. That Christ, the hope of heaven for the world is in you and me. We are carrying it. We are on a divine purpose. 
to bring hope to people. That's why it says in 1 Peter, be ready always to give a reason for the hope that is in you. We are carrying heaven's hope in this world when we walk in our true identity. All right, who are we becoming? A person of character. We're becoming a representative of heaven. And thirdly, we're becoming the best version of ourselves. So there are three versions of you. They're all you, or they're just different versions. One version is you apart from Jesus. You, you doing your own thing, you go in your own way, you, and everybody is bent a little different, everybody's broken a little different, so that's gonna look a little different for, for all of us. But that's one, that's one version of you. Is that the real you? Yep, that's the real you. Just a bad version of you. There's a second version of you. And that version of you is you're in Jesus, but you're still trying to get your identity from the world. This version of you is a very confusing person. This is a very miserable person. Because you want God, but you kind of want the world too. And so you're, 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 you're halfway in between. You have great times with God, and then you, have, you spend a lot of time... Uh, Confused out in the out in the world, you're you're kind of like uh, Clark Kent that with all this pressure to to not to not be who you really are because what will people think of you and will they like you and 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 they they'll persecute you and you might not fit in right and so you're this miserable person have just enough Jesus to get to heaven, but not enough Jesus to really make a difference on this earth. It's, you're not only confusing to yourself, you're confusing to the world. They don't know what to believe. You say you're a Christian, but you kind of live just like them, and so it's really hard to figure out it, it, why you would be any different than they are, except that you have a little different belief because you believe in Jesus and they don't. Well, there's a third version of you, and it's the best version. This is you and me in Christ. Getting our identity from God. Here's, here's how Jesus said it. Come to me, you are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and humble of heart. And my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's how, the, here's how this yoking with Jesus works. This is, this is how they used to yoke up oxen. They would take a really strong oxen and partner it with a weak oxen. They would take a, a mature oxen and, and partner it with an immature oxen. And that way the strong one, the mature one, would carry most of the weight and lead. And the other one learns just by coming along. And it's easy for that, that other oxen. It's easy because most of the weight is being pulled by the other and he doesn't have to lead. And this, this is the best version of you. Where you lay down that burden of trying to find your own self, your own identity. You die to, your, to making yourself something and you let Jesus make you who he wants you to be. You let him do the heavy pulling. It's no longer about you having to make a difference or you having to be somebody or you having to be anything. It's you put your identity in Jesus and he'll do the heavy lifting for you and he will lead you. And, you, and, and your life and our life becomes learning how to follow him, learning how to walk with him. And this is, this is where it all works in Christianity. It's like a river flowing, John chapter seven. It will be like a river flowing out of your innermost being. Where you're, we're not struggling, we're not trying, we're allowing the life of God to flow in us. This is what God, this is the best version of you. The best version of you, this is how you were created, this is why you were redeemed. The best version of you is you in Christ. This was the plan from the very beginning. And it works, why? Because you were designed this way. You were designed to not be I, but to be we. You and God were supposed to be one. <laughs> That's how you were made. It's how I was made. And it is the best version of ourselves. So who are we becoming? That was point one. We're on point two. And there are only two points. So we're almost done. Here we go. 
If you've been to this church long enough, you know we're not almost done. All right. (laughs) Point two is called this. The need to remember again and again. If this is what we're becoming, why do we have to remember it? If we're already becoming this, why do we have to remember it? Well, there's a warning in this text, isn't it? If you lack these qualities, as a Christian, as somebody that started this, if these qualities are not increasing in your life, you forgot. You forgot who you are. The, the essence of this passage, there's two, there's two emphases in this passage. One is how much God has done for us. And the second one is our need in this world to be diligent. To be diligent, to respond, to respond to what God has done, not passively, but with diligence. God has done amazing things for us and in us, and it's getting better and better and better. But we need to stay diligent and vigilant. <clears throat> okay. First, we need to keep planting the right seed. Mark 4, 14. Here's what Jesus says. And Jesus says about the parable of the sower, this is the key to understanding all of the parables. He says, if you don't, under, if you don't get this one, you're going to miss everything else. This is the foundation parable, is the, is the parable of the sower and the seed. Here's what he says in Mark 4.14. The sower sows the word. The word of God is being sown. This is what the battle is over. Jesus said the very next phrase, after the word is sown, the devil comes to try to steal it. I am so sorry, but you're in a spiritual war. I am so sorry, but however you've been living, you need to understand something. There is another reality. It is a spiritual reality. And the consequences of living as if there's not a spiritual reality, as if there's not a battle raging around you, is that you're going to lose. If you don't acknowledge there is a spiritual world, a spiritual realm, you're going to end up losing this battle. The fight is over the Word of God. The Word of God coming into you, the Word of God being able to establish your identity, the the Word of God that is able to wash us and give us everything that God has. The first attack against the human race is is a question. Did God really say? It's, It's not on God's existence. It's about his word. Did he really say? There is generation after generation, there have been attacks on this word, probably no more so than today. Questioning the word of God making us the judge instead of the word of God being the judge. Friends, you may not understand everything that's in here. I certainly don't. But that doesn't make it any less the word of God. This is God's word to us. God has given us his word. The Holy Spirit bringing the word of God is how salvation comes. It is how identity comes. So there's a big thing going on today. And I know that you've already heard about it because it's everywhere, called identity theft. And hackers have become very sophisticated. They want to steal identity. They want to get your identity. Why? Then they've got access to your assets. They've got access to everything that you have. They can tap in and you can look in your account and it's all gone. And so there's, there's all kinds now of, there's people that have jobs to protect our identity. Every bank is protecting your identity. Every insurance company, every, you're always, they're always, it's all about protecting identity. And we're all trying to be careful to not have our identity stolen in the natural realm. How careful are we spiritually? I have a young friend. He used to live in this area and uh, got saved, was doing amazing in Jesus, and he moved away to another place where it was very hostile to Christianity. And, and so we would Skype from time to time about what's going on with him and... Um, and we, we, we Skyped one time, and he told me about a dream he had. And in this dream, he's in a movie theater 
watching a movie and all of a sudden it goes dark. I mean black as dark as can be. And he realizes somebody has stolen the projector. So he runs after this guy that has stolen the projector. And when he catches up to him, he wakes up. And a scripture comes to his mind. And it's, it's Matthew 6, 23. If the light in you becomes darkness, how great that darkness is. And so we talked about that. The enemy wants to steal our light. He wants to steal our identity. Now, unfortunately, that young man right now is in a very dark place. There was a warning from heaven, and just living in this world, especially when it's hard, especially when it's difficult, Right now, he's, 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 his light has been stolen. He's not going to church, not, not doing the things. He's got still very active in the world. But this is, this is our greatest identity. You and I have to be diligent to protect our identity. We have to fight for the Word of God. We have, to, we have to expose ourselves to the word of God and we need to hold onto it and we need to get it in our hearts. We need to get it in our minds. We need to accept that our identity comes from the word of God, not from our feelings today and not from uh, our, what other people think about us or expect from us. Our identity comes from the word of God. Believe who the word says you are and, and these things will rise in you. And in me. Be diligent to expose yourself to the Word of God. Secondly, be diligent to weed your heart. Mark, Mark 4 18 and 19, a little later in the sore. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the Word, but the worries of this life. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So now, this isn't, this isn't the, the enemy coming directly and trying to lie to you. This is simply you allowing weeds to come in to your heart and choke out that which was happening. That which had started, that which was growing, all of a sudden, it gets choked out by these weeds. I, somebody bought me, actually our men bought me a study Bible, the ESV, the English Standard Version. And I've absolutely loved this version. I've loved the, the comments in it. But here's, here's 2 Peter 1.9 out of the ESV. I, I think this is so beautiful. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. Here's what, here's what that means. When we get caught up in our present life, the urgent demands of our present life, the worries... The pleasures, the desires for this present life that seem so immediate and so urgent and so fulfilling, when we allow those to dominate us, we, are, we become blind spiritually. When your life becomes that which is right now, you, you become spiritually blind. You're, even though right now is happening all around all of us, I understand that. There are worries and cares and somebody needs to mow the lawn and somebody needs to change the baby's diaper and somebody needs to pay that bill and, and we got to go to work and we got to take care of this and we got to take care of that. I mean, the business has to happen on this earth. I'm the first one to say, yeah, take care of business. But the business of this world is not our identity. And, and the problem, of course, with spiritual things, the things that are most important seem to be the least urgent. And so we'll do that later. 
Yeah, yeah, I need to spend more time with God, but I'll do all these other things first. You'll never spend time with God. You will never spend time with God. You have to make time for God. You have to reverse the order. You have to say, my identity is not only important to me, it's urgent to me. I will be diligent. I will be diligent to sow into this identity. I will not let, and that's called weeding the garden. Well, Pastor Tom, how do you weed the garden? Uh, Okay, so you take the worries of this world and you apply Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We, We weed out the worries and we give them to Jesus. What about wealth? What about money and getting money and all that money can buy us and all that money can make easier and money that gives me security for the future? Money, 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 money. Here's what it says in Psalm 62.10. When riches increase, do not set your heart on them. I am all for God blessing us financially. Money, money helps advance the kingdom of God. Money does a lot to help the poor, to help missions, to, to keep churches going, to, to fuel the kingdom of God. But money is a horrible master. Wonderful servant, horrible master. Put God first with your money. That helps weed, keep you weeded from the deceit of riches. Why? It may, riches make you feel strong. They make you feel like you, you're in control. It's just, that's deceiving. You're not strong and you're not in control. Jesus is always the one that's strong and always the one in control. Don't be deceived by money. You keep your heart free from him. And the desires for other things. Now, this is weird. But anything can become an inordinate desire. It can be golf. It can be shopping. It can be Netflix. It can be anything can become this all-consuming thing that is choking the word of God out of our life. Here's the amazing thing. You keep Jesus first. You're diligent to keep Jesus first. You can, enjoy, you can enjoy golf. You can enjoy a movie or a whatever because it doesn't have you. Keep Jesus first. Let that, we, we sang it this morning, let that fire, let that fire come over me because that's my true identity. You are my eternal home. Do that first and other things, won't, they won't stick to you. Keep the important things first. And then finally, the need to remember again and again. Keep putting on your new clothes until they're comfortable. This is Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. I don't think the computer people have it because it's totally my fault, not theirs. Here's what it says. Put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the, be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self that is being corrupted. Renew your mind by putting on the new self that is becoming more and more holy and righteous before God. Okay. So this is us. I was preaching through the book of Ephesians. This is back in 2013. And I was trying to illustrate this. What, is, what about this putting off and putting on? And, and, uh, and I had an experience, and I told it then, and so some of you might even remember it. You probably all remember it. Who cares? Um, I'm going to say it again. So one day, my wife says to me, I don't want you to wear those sweaters that you wear anymore because they make you look old.
Well, that might be a small thing to you. It was devastating to me. Because I had three sweaters in my starting lineup. They, the, the, everybody knew I love sweaters. And so they were, they were fit for me. They were custom for me. They were comfortable. They were easy to put on. And when I go to work... I don't want to wear a sweatshirt to work. I, I mean, I, don't, I never look great, but I, I want to look at least halfway decent. And so sweaters were just this perfect balance. Comfortable, yet not a sweatshirt. And so I, I've got three of these sweaters in my starting lineup, and I'm used to wearing them. And she just declares, I don't want you to wear those sweaters anymore. They make you look old. devastating. Here's what she did about it. She went out and bought me new clothes. Clothes that were going to be attractive to her. She put them in my closet and she said, these are the clothes that I want you to start wearing. Now, here's the funny thing. She didn't take the sweaters out of my closet. They were still there. Today, here we are, six years later, those sweaters still hang in my closet. And in the winter months, I cannot tell you the temptation (laughs) to put on one of these sweaters and just wear it. They're so easy. Just pull it over. They're already fit. I know they fit. I know they're perfect. Um, the only problem is, is my wife has said, they, I don't want you to wear those anymore. They make you look old. So this is the gospel. Here's what happened. Here's what happened when Jesus died and rose again from the dead and sent his Holy Spirit into this world. Until that happened, we could only be the old man. We could only be what we had become, what had become comfortable. And it's funny, what what is comfortable for you is different than what's comfortable for me. The Bible says that everybody has an easily besetting sin. This is why you should never judge anyone else for their sins. Because just because, because like, I don't struggle with that. Why do you struggle with that? I don't struggle with that. Well, you struggle with something else. And if you don't struggle with anything, that means your struggle is with pride, which is the worst of all because you can't see it. Um, but we all, we all have easily besetting things. The, the enemy has crafted our sins so that it fits us just perfect and we're just comfortable. And, and he wants to convince us this is the real you. This is who you are. This is your true colors. This is, and, and he wants you to like who you have become in sin and in the old nature and get you a little pride so that you don't change. You can't change. So here's what Jesus does for us. So we come to Jesus And he says this, I love you just as you are. Come as you are. I love you. I've died for you just as you are. But you're not attractive to me in the old man. when When you are like that, it makes you look like the old man. But I'm not just telling you what I don't like. He bought clothes and put them in our closet. These things are all in our closet. Every, every single one of these qualities, virtue, true knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Guys, you don't have to get them out of heaven. They're already in your closet. They are part of the new man. They are part of who, they are part of who you are right now. Now, the problem is, is they're not, they're not comfortable. It's just like new clothes. Why, why do people not wear the clothes that make them look best all the time? Because you're, we're not comfortable in new clothes. We're not comfortable wearing a suit and having a tie on and, and all of that stuff. So what has, what has to happen is you've got to break your new clothes in. How do you do that? By putting them on. By putting them on. 
And you have to put them on. Paul says, put off the old man, put on the new man. How many times do you have to do that? Every day? Every day. How many times do you put on your uh, clothes on? Every day. You get up and you have to decide which outfit you're going to wear. Isn't that right? Well, why? I, I decided yesterday what outfit. Yeah, that was for yesterday. Now you've got to decide what you're going to wear today. And every day, you and I need to put Jesus on. We need to put on that new man. Don't let the devil tell you that that's not the true you. That's not the real you. That's the fake you. This is, this is, the, this is how he does identity theft. He, he will come, and I've seen this happen with men all the time. He'll convince men that they're perverts. He'll, he'll, he'll convince men that the real them is lustful. The real them is this twisted person. And the fake them is the one that comes to church, loves Jesus, worships, gives. That's, that's fake. The real you is over here. No, they're both real. They're both the real you. One is a bad version of you and one is a good version of you. They're both real. It's all in which one you're going to put on. So then, of course, the confusion. Why, did she, why didn't Jesus take away the old man? Why do, we, why do we have to make a choice every day? Why can't salvation, and there are actually churches that teach this, that the, the old man is gone, that Jesus has so redeemed us that there is no sin nature anymore. All you have is a new nature, and what that does ends up making, it makes hypocrites of everybody. Because now you have to pretend like you don't, you're not tempted anymore and you pretend like that, you know, others are like that, but you're not. That, it's ridiculous. The, the, everybody that is human knows mm, hope, old man is still there. <laughs> there is a war going on. The spirit wars against the carnal nature, it said. Walk in the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the carnal nature. There's nothing in the Bible that says you will no longer have the desires of the carnal nature. You just don't have to carry them out because you can live dead to them. You don't have to put that outfit on. So why didn't Jesus take away the carnal nature? First, let me assure you that he will. When he comes again and we get our new bodies, we will, there will no longer be a struggle with the carnal nature. Praise God. One day those will not even be in your closet. You will just be the new man and that you'll only, only have new clothes to put on. But he's left them in there now. Why? Well, I'll tell you why my wife left him in there. She doesn't want to control me. She doesn't want to make me do what is pleasing to her. Part of love is freedom. So she's made it clear to me what she finds attractive. She bought new clothes, put them in my closet. She didn't put them on me. She put them in my closet. And then I decide every day if I'm going to look good for my spouse. This is all about loving Jesus. And he wants you to love him. He wants me to love him. So every single day, he wants to see which outfit we're going to put on. Are we going to put on the new man? Are we going to put on purity? Are we going to put on self-control? Or are we going to just go to what's... Con- especially, guys, especially when we're hurt and tired or offended and angry, it's so easy to put on the old man. I'm going to go back to my addiction. I'm going to go back to my pornography. I'm going to go back to my whatever it is that is your thing that can dominate you where you hide. You're basically hiding from God and choosing to put on things that you know are unattractive to him. And frankly, they're unattractive to your spouse. They're unattractive to your children. They're unattractive to the world. Uh, The old man is ugly. He's selfish. He lives completely consumed by this world, by image, by fear, by anger. There's so many things that are just ugly and they're not the best version of you. And so every single day, you can get up and say, Jesus, I'm going to put on purity. Yeah, I know I've been struggling with lust, but I'm going to put on purity today. 
I've been struggling with unforgiveness, but I'm going to put on your love today. I'm putting on forgiveness. This day, for, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. I'm going, to, I'm going to put on that generous person that trusts you with my provision. I, I, I know I can worry. I know I can give in to worry, but I know that makes me look old to you. I don't want to be the old man. I want to be the one that looks good to you. I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to put on trust. And then an amazing thing happens. We become transformed. Transformed means from the inside out. This is Romans 12 too. By the renewing of our mind. Now this is scientifically proven. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Carolyn Leaf wrote a book called Switching on Your Brain. That, that when, 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 when you have gone to a certain place in your brain, you, d- you develop a highway to it, and so uh, you just automatically go there. But you can retrain your brain. You can, if you, if you just recognize, I don't want to go there anymore. You can actually take out a machete and cut a new path in your brain. And what happens is when you keep choosing to do the new thing, the old path gets overgrown with thorns. It's actually, it's harder to go the old way because you're making a new path. And eventually you can actually have a highway to the new way. You can, the, the new clothes can become comfortable. The new clothes can actually be the place where you go when you're tired, when you're hurt, when you're offended. You just automatically go to the new man. And put on those new clothes. Here's the right response. And you don't have to spend three weeks, three months, or three years back in darkness, back in doubt, back gripped by something bad. You don't, we can get up quickly, folks. This is what God wants for every single one of us. So could we stand to our feet? If the worship team would mind coming. I thought about how to end this thing and I, I just, I came to this. We're all in the war. The enemy wants all of our identities and Jesus, Jesus wants to seal in our minds and in our hearts who he died and rose again for us to become. And so if, if this is the identity you want you want to be the very best version of yourself. You don't want to be what sin has made you or what the enemy has lied to you. I just want you to open your arms like this. Close your eyes, open your arms. I just want to, I want to pray for you. Lord, I hate, to, I hate to end going back to a movie, but I'm doing it. Everything changed for Clark when he had a vision of his real father. And he found out who he really was and his real purpose for being in the world. And then the father, his, his father showed him and told him where the, the, that uniform was that had the family emblem so that he could wear that under his clothes all the time. He could always have the new true person as part of him. 